0: The biggest problem in security that remains unsolved is flat networks inside the cloud and data center that allow threats to move laterally and compromise vulnerable targets. But micro-segmentation using traditional firewalls is too complex and time-consuming. There's a better approach. Edgewise Zero Trust Auto-Segmentation. Edgewise is impossibly simple micro-segmentation. Using the identity of machines and software that are communicating, Edgewise offers the strongest protection that adapts automatically to changes. Protect any application in any cloud without any changes to your network by visiting security. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Uh, Quick announcement. Attend RSA 2020, February 24th through the 28th. Uh, There'll be some really great events this year at RSA. In addition to the awesome talks, there is going to be an engagement zone where uh, if you install the app, you can find people that are interested in the same security topics that you are, there's like a speed dating for InfoSec and it's not like dating in that sense. It's like finding people with uh, uh, similar interests, birds of a feather sessions. They've got an entire area set aside for that. They've got an entire area set aside for uh, startups but also Uh, like villages like they have at some of the other technical conferences. Um, So there'll be ones on vehicle uh, and car hacking. There'll be ones on IOT where you can get hands-on with folks and presentations in that area. So uh, we've done a lot with uh, RSA this year. They appeared on the show and did a webcast with them. I learned about some of the ways in which that conference has grown. And, of course, there's still the gigantic vendor area uh, where you can uh, go shop around and talk to, I think, They said over 500 or 600 vendors crazy. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, but cool technical stuff and cool. Like basically they've made it easy to have Hallway Con, right? I don't want to say they formalized it, but they've made it easier and given you space. There's going to be a coffee bar and it's right below where Broadcast Alley is, where we'll be for all of RSA. So if you come visit us, RSA and some of us have some time, totally. Like, let's just go hang out, have some coffee. Uh, we may have some bourbon to put in the coffee, which would be awesome. They will have bourbon say, to put well, in it's, the coffee. It's yeah. been from RSA, <laughs> close your ears. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure that you visit uh, the landing page for that, which is securityweekly.com forward slash RSAC 2020. And now we're going to talk about stories where I <laughs> guess we have to talk about uh, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> and his phone getting hacked is that why do I not want to talk about this is that I, I don't understand
1: I don't know I don't know because there's so much conjecture around it and Yeah, reasoning and I don't know
0: there's a lot of speculation I mean I guess I mean there's one thing that's great about doing this podcast is we do get to speculate if, it's if one there thing more nice details
2: about, about the code injection and that you were sure there was actually a code injection that might be interesting but it could just be that he clicked that link saying, you know, you you won a million dollars or something.
0: Well, apparently it yeah. was through what's it was what's, through WhatsApp what and there was some uh, malware that was embedded in there that they've traced back to Israel. Is that is that really true? I, that's what I read. I I almost don't want to. I haven't like validated that's, that's that.
1: That's one of like four different stories that yeah. that I've seen. Right, and there was pictures
0: of his private parts as well that they're now like is resurfacing right because that was. Story, I, 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 don't know.
2: Yeah, it was you know. Now there's, there's all kinds of leaks coming out of there. There was all kinds of, I mean, a, a it, what leaks oh. coming out of there? <laughs> <don't>, I'm not <laughs> even gonna ask what the hell. You, <laughs> I'm I, oh my
0: god! Uh, uh,
2: leaks just, of <laughs> other data. Oh data, okay, yeah, data. No, it was yeah, tired of the constant drip drip. Yeah. Uh, um, no, there. I mean, there was theories that that they were trying to acquire. You know. More credentials, etc., 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 but it's not anything like concrete about, you know, yeah, the rock the hard itself. details of this. I, I just yeah, the report
1: I, itself from FTI was like it was, well, they did a pretty good job of like covering like how they were kind of going about the the forensic, you know, yeah, acquisition and kind of all that. There was still, it was it was a pretty big jump in a lot of cases, and I
0: I just I want to I want to step back as. We look at Amazon as a target, right? And we think about the credit cards that they hold. Yep. And so millions of people, right, store their credit cards in in Amazon. I think up until this point, everything that I've heard publicly and privately, right, like I haven't heard anything about like, yeah, someone's like got something or the, like your credit card uh, is at risk. And you can just imagine when you're – arguably the world's largest online retailer storing all of those credit cards the effort and the focus and the team that's behind protecting them right and like if you're listening or you know anyone on that team like props to you folks i i think you're doing a great job and you have a tremendous amount of responsibility but then you look at amazon's other business in aws and all of the companies that basically host all of their infrastructure and a lot of their data in AWS and how juicy a target that is and also prompts to your to that team as well you folks are doing an amazing job in in uh, giving us resources and of course it's going to be i mean Amazon has over 400 different services that they're offering in AWS today right uh, and uh, the like the resources to protect that are, are, are pretty amazing So I, I think the team At Amazon's doing A great job That's not to say There haven't been issues Of course there's going To be issues. With that much attack surface And that large of a company Of course there's going To be issues But in large part I, I think in everything I've heard publicly And privately I, You're doing a great job And and so keep yeah. it up So we come back To Jeff Bezos So you maybe you want To attack Amazon Are you going to Compromise like One of the most Public founders And CEOs And what You think Jeff has access to some of that stuff. Like, I'm I don't sure know it, I don't early know, on, on they took away all his credentials. Like, <laughs> you're way too high profile to well, have access yeah. to anything but anymore. And he was probably uh, reading what I've read about, he was probably like, Yeah, like, no. But like, there's
2: two, there, to me, there's two sort of vectors on this. The one vector is the because I can vector. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean if you're going to go after somebody you're not going to go after Chuck Stevers who's the director of marketing you're going to go after the biggest fish you can find. So why not? I mean if you can pull off some elaborate attack and just say hey I was the guy that cracked Bezos' phone you get all his cred but the other one is a credit. Yeah, but I
1: mean well, on, people like that so do hack for street why cred. Why burn a anymore. WhatsApp?
2: I know, yeah, but why, the the other one the next- But the other one is just credential stuffing. I mean, he probably does have the names and the numbers and the emails and the internal emails. of. I don't, I'm not saying they're stealing uh, passwords or anything good. I'm saying if you want to develop an attack against Amazon. So you're going to use them for recon. I and, think that's and a and valid you, you theory, you dump done. his whole phone, and yep. he's got the names, the home addresses, the, the WhatsApp IDs of everybody at Amazon. You just got something pretty valuable
0: to... Proceed with a, with a more it, elaborate If attack. you're going to attack if, if I'm going to attack a company that has an elite security team That's that high profile well, yeah, and that yeah. large of a company Right I think that your strategy that has to be Near the top of your list Is you're going to try and flip an insider You're going to try and either plant or flip an insider well. To have that you're going to need some knowledge yeah. Maybe a dog is on to something In that you're going to maybe collect Some of that knowledge from Other people in the organization to get it laid Or maybe, that is, I'm maybe sure that it's on his happened. phone Maybe you find
2: somebody he's having a relationship with at the company. Maybe you find mm-hmm. somebody he's got pictures of or he's got... Who knows what he's got on his phone? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what's on your phone. He's just like everybody else in some ways. But it's certainly not WhatsApp or TikTok. No, not at all. But, I mean, if you, got, if you right. dumped his text, you know, and he's texting his wife, he's texting whomever, you don't know what you might collect out of that. So... But I think it still comes back to because I really I hope he's
0: using Signal, though. That's just you know,
2: <laughs> well, he's probably not. But uh, maybe well,
1: obviously so. he's using WhatsApp.
0: Well,
2: yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I just think that part of it is because we did it, so they and, and you know they target him. And secondly, maybe you get something really good off his phone, just like
0: they used to try to steal CEOs' laptops. It's really hard, though. How? How? I mean, it's easy for us as security to be the department of know and say like i do with my kid like no TikTok, no whatsapp like the risk profile is too high but that we all know that doesn't work well like what's our recourse for protection is it an invasion of privacy i mean when you do that with your kids that's one thing we had chris had nagging on the phone it's like this is for the safety of your children you should very much monitor what they're doing because of bullying because of child predators and the risk is too high and Chris's advice was to do it in an open environment, and I very much do it with my kids today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, my, my oldest son uh, just started middle school, and I'm like, dude, look, like, dad knows what you're doing on your phone, right? And then and there's instances where he's uh, at school events and stuff like that, I'm always like, everyone's like crowding around his phone laughing, like, what's he's doing, right? And he, he knows that it's not so much, I'm like, D- I don't want to spy on you, but it's for your own protection. But how do you then take that and... Put it on one of the, on the CEO. On the CEO of one yeah. of the largest companies the in is the world. You don't.
2: Right. And I have one other theory. My other theory is the James Bond theory. That that it's something Ooh, that it's something far more sophisticated than what no, we know. Mr.
0: Bond, I want you to die. Exactly.
2: So <laughs> he's got Saudi princes. He's got Israeli. Who knows what? Was that he's, Goldfinger? That was Gold. I haven't watched Bond in a Goldfinger, long time. It is Goldfinger. I want you to die. where so you get the laser mm-hmm. and you know, you know, yeah. Sean Connery and. Coming a money penny, uh, but uh, but I mean, there might be something more elaborate being played at a different level, mm. and he's being targeted by somebody in some game of billionaires kind of scenario that we don't really know what the objective was or why it happened. It was Is just that like some... a new
0: TV show, kind of like Game of Thrones, but Game of Billionaires.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's a lot. It's like that. I think so. I mean, because if you're playing this game and and you've got endless resources, and it could even be something stupid. You know, like, oh yeah, I was at this thing the other day, and he cut me off on—he cut my private jet off on the airport, and his yacht was bigger than mine. So, I'm going to fix his wagon. And you know, you go out and you spend. I mean, I mean, how much money could a billionaire spend, and it be like us going out and spending five thousand bucks? Mm. You know, so somebody drops five twenty million dollars, which isn't even the interest they made that morning, and they go, yeah, we want to just—you know—we're going to mess with this guy. And uh, let's just make him look stupid. And it's a counting coup uh, kind of problem like James Bond. So now it's just like, oh, yeah, we got you. And now you look bad. And Mm -hmm. that's it. That's the end. I win. So, yeah, like Game of Thrones kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Still, though, like a WhatsApp, an iOS exploit, just to get the level of information and and have a self-destruct sequence and essentially you, you almost have to jailbreak the phone remotely you're talking about an exploit chain that at this point in ios is like seven layers deep i mean that thing's worth millions yeah. if not more so that so... so that comes
2: back to my my james bond billionaire game theory mm-hmm. which is like i don't care about the money that this is worth because it's irrelevant to me so i just want to make the guy look bad because he pissed me off the other night at the cocktail party reception for you know billionaires <laughs> And I'll drop $20 million, and I don't care about the product that you might have got. And I hired a huge team. I mean, you can see somebody going out and hiring a huge team of people and saying, you know, we want you to do this. And I'm going, yeah, okay. And, and the guy writes mm. you a check. And, and, and they go, wow, we, we could utilize this exploit to do all kinds of elaborate things. And the guy goes, no, I don't want that. Mm. I, just, I just wanted to make <laughs> this guy look like an idiot in the national G- press. Give me
1: some pictures to publish.
2: Yeah, give me wow. some pictures to prove it, and that's all I really care about. And then uh, take the whole
1: thing and flush it. Have a nice day. I mean, that's about the only thing that makes a whole lot of sense. I know. I mean, uh, it really does. Give NSO Group a bunch of money and let them find it. And it's money that's – their...
2: ir- you just have to understand that it's irrelevant money. I mean, it's some. It's somebody that that amount of money that that exploit is worth is just of, of no significance to them. It's, it's inconceivable.
1: Yeah, i concede that. Although I, I, the whole baseline around, like, how much data was coming out of the phone on average over the last six months and, like, how they baselined all of that, and then there's a big spike of – yeah i think it was even like hundreds of kilobits it wasn't a bunch of data like an update an app update like obviously they factored in a lot of those but like these phones do so many things baseband update an ss7 update or push for carrier data across the sim card like there's all kinds of stuff that like you just you're not gonna know uh, at that level okay so it could
2: be like uh i saw this girl that was in the background with that with him at davos and i really want her number (laughs) and i don't care how much money it cost me get me that number mm-hmm. and the only wow. place so now it's like a tom cruise movie it's like mission impossible 7 it's really boring don't
1: say that too loud someone's going to make a movie about this
0: i get a cut <laughs> you are know, um, reminding me of uh what was that movie where they they bring people in and they hunt people like there's really rich people <laughs> yeah and they're like hunting Man. people like it's what was the name of that i don't remember what the I name of that was the listeners like screaming the game, or something like <laughs> something that. Something like that.
2: But I mean, and well, then there's uh, the other one would be the conspiracy one, which is like that there is, you know, these large-scale government entity kind of things. It's nation-state and. You know, Bezos has like a secret code that Israeli intelligence wants or, or the Saudi intelligence wants. And so they hire the Israelis to go after Bezos to get the code back. And Tom Cruise is hanging from wires in the secret vault at Amazon. And oh my uh, God. Catherine Zeta Jones is doing some kind of yoga slither through a bunch of laser beam things to get to the, the one biometric panel that they have to use the off hand from that guy that cleans up to, to open the door. I think that
0: was Demolition Man and that was an eye. Okay, Uh, no, that that's (laughs) in Blade Runner, the eye, and in Demolition. Oh yeah, that's right. There's an eye, and and,
2: yeah, that's right. There's an. Anyway,
0: I want to talk about uh, vulnerabilities in AMD ATI Radon graphics cards, which apparently the attack vector is VMware, which is kind of interesting, Um, especially. I, I, you know, we've been doing this fifteen years now. Uh, and there's like words it's that show up. It's always specially crafted. It's always <laughs> specially crafted, right? There's like language that shows up in every vulnerability report uh, that that is the same and specially crafted. Malformed pixel shader. But specially <laughs> crafted is like the heart and soul of like every, almost every vulnerability, right? Like you have it's, to specially it's redundant. craft something yes. to trigger a vulnerability, right? And, and I love when the press uses that term because it's like well you could write an entire paper or article or do a whole hour like training video on this exploit just talking about how you specially crafted that and what what exactly that is and there was probably arguably hundreds of hours from a team of people that were really just basically going towards uh, the press referring to it as specially crafted which i think does a disservice to the researchers right like oh it's a specially Oh, but it's, I mean it's the level of the
2: article too I mean, <laughs> no, I mean you got to write to your true. audience and if you decide you know when you're in your, in your what, however many column inches this story is that you're gonna you gonna see appendix 5 seven 9 twelve and thirty four for the full you know the full right. analysis Nobody's going to read that. I mean, people don't want – I mean, I no, I, agree, I, mean, I agree with you, but – People
0: I, uh, people that read it, but it's a, it doesn't make for a good press. It would be right? great
2: to have a nice link there that you could click to and say, I yes. want to read about
0: the specially crafted uh, but, um, thing. But they call it a malformed so, pixel yeah. shader, uh, which I thought was uh, was kind of interesting. Uh, it's a vulnerability in the DLL uh, for the driver for the graphics card. Yeah. So it's now, just...
1: but it, it goes into it being within inside of a, a virtual machine that causes a yes. an out of out of bounds with inside of the virtual machine so is it is it the combination of the the graphics card and how that's being rendered by the Dll in conjunction with I'm, I'm assuming it's using like VMware host or VM host VmX uh, exe so like what is actually? You know, where is this happening? Is it happening with inside of a virtual environment? Does that give you access to the host? Like I I gotta yeah, read I, don't, into like that the, a I bit. don't think so. I
0: know it's it's I can't see that, that whole relationship between your virtual environment and your graphics drivers and the hardware on your card, right? It's it kinda sounds like that the the operating system with the graphics card and the drivers going to a screen, that was cool and that's not always the case. But in this case, the virtualization of that graphics driver and interaction with vmware was where they found the flaw and it's why i mentioned in our first segment uh segment with doug song that you know the Talos team has been doing some fantastic research
1: those dudes are so smart over there like hats off to them there's there's some really really smart guys and their exploit like the way they release their stuff and kind of disclose it it is really you can comprehensively walk through a very very technical exploit that otherwise you know i've seen a lot of places kind of describe them and document them and they don't come out and you're just kind of scratching your head by the end of it these guys walk through the pointer references they look at the crash analysis they provide pretty much all the info and there is a link there
0: is a link to to tyler's point there is a link to all of that in the article as well oh yeah which again is hard to kind of convey during like the news (laughs) discussion piece right uh, and hopefully we can cover that in, in other outlets and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, they're doing some just some off, uh, awesome work. Oh, null pointer dereference. There you go, if you want uh, to research it further. Um, I, I still don't think it went outside the, the guest.
2: I think there would have been a lot bigger headline if you could remote code execute in, in the outside shell because it says they were, they were executing in VMware-VMX. So that would be the running process.
1: Inside the virtual machine. Inside
2: the virtual machine. I don't think that. I that, don't think that that would is. Go that's
1: a running process for workstation or maybe. Yeah, you know, it says workstation. Is that, that's not. That's not ESX. Yeah, so Windows it's not going to jump
0: outside uh, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So tested versions: uh, Radeon RX 550 series, VMware Workstation 15 with Windows 10 x64 as the guest VM.
2: Right, but it's still only allowing you to access that process inside the, the guest. So even though it's it, yeah, I don't I don't think it, I mean, that would have been a lot bigger headline, potentially. Uh, yeah, uh, I, would, I hope agree, so. Agreed. agreed.
0: Uh, I, I now, find it interesting that we're still talking about articles that have the headline "How to Prep for Windows Seven and Server Two Thousand Eight <laughs> End of Life."
1: As this hasn't been coming for no, but a like let's <laughs> look, years,
0: let's look yeah. at the headline for a moment. Like how to prep for it, like. Your prep for it is to friggin' upgrade to the latest version of Windows. Like, well, I, yeah, I mean,
2: but that I mean that's not always feasible. I mean, I had a conversation about this the other day, and yeah, that's my um, initial reaction is just come on. But the reality for a lot of people is is they spend a lot of time gearing up, building out, stabilizing, securing and managing a very large environment that, that's homogeneous, and all of a sudden, I mean, and I know it's not all of a sudden that they've known it. I mean, it, it's end of life was coming the day it was released. I mean, we knew somewhere out in the future, but it, it's, it's, it's one thing to say upgrade. It's another thing to say, okay, let's drop, you know, $10 million of our budget and upgrade when we don't really need to. I mean, it's just a really hard sell when you sit down with the board and they're going, but everything's working and you go, well, yeah, but they're going to patch it anymore. And they're like, yeah, but it's working right now. And so it always ends up being- But
1: this... ten is so stable and it has a, a, a much longer life cycle path I that-
2: completely agree. From a
1: return on investment, like I, I I could see the actual rollout piece being, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of planning. There's a lot of moving parts and you have, you know, if you're geographically dis- dispersed, then obviously and, you've got to plan that.
2: And organizations <sighs> have these long budget lives. I mean, they they want it. These are assets that they, they have to depreciate over, you know, I mean, a long period of time. It's a huge investment. So, for them to just say, okay, well, we, we were planning on this being here for 10 years, and oh, now it's gone. We need to just,
0: you know, okay, start over. Let's retrain but everybody. If you, the end user if you workstation.
1: A <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, consumer. Yeah. No but excuse. In the enterprise, the end user workstation problem is going to be around for a, a long time, yeah, I it feel is. like, because it's really hard to upgrade and replace all of the, because they're physical machines that people have in sometimes multiple right maybe they have a desktop and a laptop and it's something that the user's interface yeah it's and... physical hardware it's not virtual and, and it's and not we, a container and,
2: and think about it we've we've all upgraded operating systems most of us many times i mean you make the jump uh, at some point you said i'm going to give up i'm going to give up dos and i'm going to run windows 98 and and it, it's really painful uh, when you go to a server that you know how to manage, and you've got everything stable, and you go, okay, let's let's roll out a new oftentimes one.
0: Oftentimes full of pain and regret, like some decisions in all of our lives. <laughs>
2: and, and now you don't know how to do things you knew how to do yesterday, and you got a hundred other things going on, and you don't know the safety and sanctity of what you're rolling out. And, and you're going, well, let's wait another. I mean, it's just easy to make that let's wait another six-month decision because then we don't have to go through this suffering You know, when when we really need to, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to go through it, so it's like real easy to say, Well, we'll, as soon as we get this email problem fixed and we upgrade the email servers, how about
0: we talk next year and we'll look at the budget? But I, I, does this problem get better over time? Because, really, what over time, what is on users' computers that needs to run on their computer as we extrapolate much of what they do, Uh. developers? are going to use docker and containers mm-hmm. to to build out and test environments that aren't as dependent on the operating system. Uh-huh. I'm not saying mutually exclusive, but they aren't as dependent on the operating system. The applications we use are largely hosted in the cloud or through SaaS providers, so does this problem get better and go away? So- and dare I say do does something like a Chromebook become more of an option, however, as you know, Tyler and I have kind of theorized when, when that starts becoming more and more of uh, an embracement, and adoption, at what point do we start going after the Chrome OS? Because largely, and listeners, please write in if you have anything on this, I don't really see people attacking this operating system and this platform, maybe largely because it hasn't seen wide-scale adoption in the enterprise, Right. Um, but just certainly, like there's a lot of Chromebooks out there. I don't have the, the math in front of me, but I'm sure you could... I mean, Chromebooks are selling you know, on sale for 100 bucks. There's people buying those and using those as yeah. their everyday computing.
1: Why not? Well, even, even OSX platform, you're looking at a, a relatively small market share. Mm. In fact, a very, very small market share in, in the corporate enterprise. And so that, that target, just like the Chromebooks, has not necessarily come around. But we also thought that VDI... Right. Uh, or, like, zero clients would be like the huge wave of yeah. the future where everything is, you know, went to the hypervisor and decentralized. But,
0: Tyler, do you think that's just a technology hurdle? That it's, it, I think it's, it's a
1: licensing f- hurdle. I think, honestly, VMware priced themselves out. Like, if they would have continued mm-hmm. down the path, I've seen a huge push for everything went ESXi, everything went, you know, Horizon Orchestrator. It was all VDI. You could have golden images, those are deployed. There's lots of enterprises that still do that. But I believe the cost of licensing and the cost to have that infrastructure and maintain it with the kind of knowledge and people to do that continuously yeah. got so I, high. I, I, it's a double whammy.
0: I got to license Windows, and I also have to license VMware software. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that's expensive. Yep, and I think
1: Windows is Windows is with the, with the new kind of rolling idea of how they're going to start rolling their their updates and, and continue uh, those those long-term service agreements with their product. I think that's kind of a step in the in the right direction. We seen, you know, XP to Windows 7 was a huge adoption, big pain in the ass. Everything sucked, right? And then we seen seven. It was a great operating system for a really long time. 10 was better, and and sub- substantially better with uh, the no st- stability issues that we seen with those iterations in between. Um, that adoption has now made it much easier, I think, for a lot of these corporations to start saying, yeah, these role, these role and life cycles for particular assets uh, is not as big a headache. And so we can continue to do this and do this much quicker with our hardware.
0: But I also think that the the Windows 7 and Server 2008 is also – I, I think we're kind of glossing over the fact that there's a lot of legacy software out there, Right and I think it takes two forms if we are to think about it really practically, right? Like, one is the browser. Uh, and, I mean, IE is still a thing, right? And you may still have <laughs> internal applications that require older versions of of, of that browser. Yeah. And, look, I mean, having done a lot of development lately, I, just, like, snapping your fingers and going, hey, we're going to have a new version of the app and it's going to be in the cloud, that's not a reality. Like, the, the resources and planning it takes... Especially when we talk about enterprise applications, we did a segment um, yesterday on enterprise security about SAP. Like, you can't just snap your face. There's way too many moving right. pieces. I think it's easy for us pundits to say, and you need to read a lot of articles out there and be like, "Oh, well, people should just upgrade to Windows 7." There's a lot of things that hold people back. One, legacy applications that require older browsers. One, leg- the other two is legacy applications that run on the operating system that are still a thing today yep. right and especially specialized applications that are connected to specialized equipment i mean well When yeah, i've for universities ICS right <laughs> ics stuff stuff in hospitals. research departments and hospitals right well you said sap
2: oracle and all these kind of giant enterprise products that that have both end user components that are running on desktops they have back office components running on servers And you say, I'm just going to scrap all my server 2012 or whatever, and I'm going to get rid of them. And that may not be as simple as it says, because when you call your engineers who are managing your Oracle massive, Mm -hmm. you know, that runs your company, and you call them and go, can we just switch all this stuff? They're going to say, no, we've got to study it. (laughs) You can, but it's, well, it's going to cost a lot of money. We're going to have to test it all. I, maybe there's a place out there where we get to this kind of uh, OS convergence that's driven by things like Docker, where we just spin up stuff on the fly, and there's there there's still going to be some kind of backwater system that's out there that that's you know that's the ESXi or something of the world. But if we're always just spinning up user operating systems on the fly and doing away with them when they're done with them, then they don't. The version doesn't really matter anymore. It can just be a, a you know. It, it, who cares what it is? It's
0: just my see. But I
1: really well, that's think... where that's where hypervisors. But know, no, no, it, yeah. I
0: agree. But it, I and I agree in the the hypervisor point because I think it's all about maintaining your environments, right? And making your environment defined by software infrastructure as code, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't that alone doesn't solve the problem? No. What that enables you to do is constantly test right? So that when right. there's a new version of a library, of a software application, of an operating system, it, it doesn't just make it magic like, oh, we can just move to that and it's and it's all great. It's still the same scenario where I've got an operating system on physical hardware, an application running on it, and I'm going to upgrade the libraries, the software, the operating system that supports my application, and on physical hardware, yeah, it, it, it's painful. What containers, virtualization, and cloud provide is an easier way to test that. It's an easier way for me to say, you know, we go back to the Equifax breach and and a lot of the application servers that have issues. It's not that, you know, the physical hardware versus virtual is any different, but the difference is the ability to test. It's that I can say, let me go take the latest version, let me run my application on it, and let me see what breaks. And then you know what? Let me change my environment and let me go iterate. I don't have to go submit a request for that. I don't have to go buy additional hardware. I don't have to go get maybe additional licenses, right? I can just iterate and test and go, hey, what? guess what? I've got this running on the new version that I think works. It's passed all my tests. Let's now go put it through some security testing, and then let's go push it and, into and production. And that's
2: where we get to these – we get away from what – I call this macro change. So it's like seven is not the same thing as ten. I mean, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But someday we got to get to a point where we don't really need these macro changes, except maybe, you know, once in a lifetime. I mean, look at look at cars. Cars have micro changes. I mean, m- engines don't change that much. They make them a little better. You know, they tweak them, and they make these micro changes to them. I know, but, you know, your windshield wipers are a little better than they were in 1908, but they're still the same basic idea. And I think if we get to a point where we've got – operating system platforms that are stable and robust Maybe we don't need that much more change in that, and we can start making little micro tweaks and say, well, we're going to just tweak this app a little bit. The Docker, we can mm-hmm. test it all. We test it over a large audience because we roll out a Docker and a whole, you know, millions of people download that and run it and go, oh, there's a little problem here. We just tweak that a little bit. Tweak a little See, bit.
1: but I still think we're. I would, I would argue we're almost there, though. We're all, right? like I, with, yeah. with the
0: browser. I agree. We're almost there, but it's still. But I think we're in a period of time where it's still a lot of work in engineering to get your legacy uh, legacy a loosely term right get your older applications onto these newer platforms right yeah and then continue to iterate there, yeah. right but that continuous um integration testing continuous push to that new technology is going to put us in a much better place i mean i'm in that place right now right like i've got a service running on uh you know infrastructure in the cloud that is heavy infrastructure, right? It's an operating system and I'm running apps on top of it. Now I'm trying to take that, push it into a containerized microservice environment and then push it into the cloud. That first push of your legacy application into that new environment is a lot of work. I mean, there's no way that you can slice it and dice in any which way other than it's a lot of work. Once you get there, you break up the work into smaller chunks you can more easily test it and you can iterate faster to push forward but that initial push i think is where we're at now with technology which very much again coming back to this being a security show very much speaks to your security right because yeah. you could if you can make more changes more frequently and test them more efficiently and more quickly You're in a much better position, obviously, for security,
1: and and we're seeing that. That speaks to you being a a single entity, right? Like when you have these applications for like law enforcement or multi-agencies, where you're talking about you know all of these places and all of the entities that have a stakeholder or even a business where there's multiple stakeholders, that means everyone has to come on board. All of the equipment has to be able to get to that point. And you're right that that first big push and getting that project rolling to get everybody on board and, and understand the cost and get to the point where the data is going to be moved. That's kind of the the tipping point where it gets much easier, but yeah, we're at that but point. where
0: Someone's got to prove it. And we, we touched on it with, with Doug song a little bit, right? Like someone's got to be, the i don't want to spoilers for the unicorn project right but someone's going to be that rebellious group that proves it right and we've all seen this because we've all worked in technology for the better part of 20 years right that you got to be the person that proves it. you take that one small piece and you show how you've taken that from the legacy architecture to the newer architecture what the value is and the benefit to the business then all the other units kind of fall in place, right? It's like what we said, if you've got 100 different groups that are doing development, you take the group that is the most forward-thinking, the most I- innovative and receptive to the change, You say, hey, look, let, let's just try it this way. Like, let's try and get buy-in, and that takes work and time. And then once you do it, you show that to the other groups, and they're like, wow, yeah, like if we do this, we're gonna take a little bit of hit in productivity, Going to take a little bit of hit and bug and feature fixes maybe in the short term, but when we come out of it, we're going to be able to iterate much faster and be more efficient. But
2: if we go to this hypervisor cloud model, we can make it so vanilla in the in the localized environment that those are all micro changes. They're just optimizations because that, that now I don't. I mean, I remember just a few years ago. I mean, well, more than a few now, but. Trying to just put a a desktop computer together using um, Gen 2. And, oh, God. I God. mean, oh, days and days. We challenged ourselves. We're going to get graphics running on this. We're going to do this. It was crazy because the hardware didn't support the driver, which didn't support the... Gentoo is the ultimate in flexibility I, I know, but it, but it, and control. But I it's a great three. example of this because Gentoo was this thing. It was so hard to do. That's why we were doing it. And it didn't support hardly anything. And it was kind of like, write your own driver. You know, don't be a wimp. But, I mean, as we make that vanilla environment for most things then that hypervisor pulls that away and and so you're always dealing with the same but there's
0: still but there's uh, it's a scale this but but i don't see it now but this is an interesting topic though because it's a scale right and it's exactly that's what i'm saying it's going from macro to micro it's the work that i'm doing right now right like i'm looking at all the different options like you want to run xyz open source application right and they'll make available hey like here's this script or this ami that's already exists in amazon and you can go run it i'm like yeah that runs and that's great but that doesn't quite work for me so i can go all the way to the other extreme and go i'm going to use gen 2 and create my own cloud environment my own linux operating system and write all my own drive i've got the ultimate flexibility and control super hard and i may get it running and a change coming down the pipeline is going to break it two weeks later right the Um, other extreme to that is like i can go one click i can install an ami and the app is running but it's Got a lot of shit missing that I really need. Where we need to be is somewhere in between developing our requirements to say this is kind of where I need to be. I think we need to be closer to the Gen 2 than than the like point shoot and click and and, go. I don't know
2: because that other end is awfully appealing when you start talking about production because you got to keep it running. But
0: there's huge security implications, right? As we look at, uh, uh, Black Hills has done a lot of uh, research on this, right? When you get into those elastic environments that's spinning up infrastructure automatically, they're not spinning it up with your configs in mind. They're spinning it up with whatever the default is. And guess what? Whatever the default is, is horribly insecure. Yeah, but if I can do that, I I can
2: spend my time focusing on security and not spend my time on writing drivers. If you can even change it. Well, yeah, and that's another whole matter. But, I mean, right. it doesn't mean it has to be – it can't – be it, it needs to be good. I'm not saying that – And that's that, what
0: – yeah, and good means that there's a balance between right. control and convenience. But right? if I can get to the point where I'm just managing
2: my objects – Internally and I have a homogeneous environment. I don't have to worry about my video drivers and my sound yeah. drivers and my mouse drivers I can just focus on making my
0: environment safe secure and fast if I can focus on the applications in the code like exactly. that's utopia That's utopia for so that, security. So that's where I sit inside that but hypervisor. you're taking that responsibility of security and you're really putting it on someone else
1: yeah. <laughs> And that's so scary it would, be nice, it would be nice to see like Just like we were talking about like what's the next iteration of, of pass- the, the passwordless world right like from a hypervisor standpoint, what's the next iteration of the the hypervisor or bringing this down like Docker and, and Kubernetes were kind of going down that path. But what happens when we start to look at like individual threads or processes or libraries, if we can micro contain those libraries and offer them up and have some yeah. some form of integration like those those protocols where we're starting to standardize on like, you know, Websockets and, and some of the HTML stuff. If we took that down even a further layer and, and standardize on some of the functionality within the libraries and, and microtize those, like there's gotta be some forward thinking people out there that could come up with the next iteration of what hypervisor is and, and be able well, to it, offer that in a stack. Right? And the
0: problem is there's way too many options today. Yeah. Way too many <laughs> options, right? Like what you're saying, Tyler, I, I agree, and it kind of makes me think about like um, the software composition analysis. And how we can yeah. take those libraries, right, and separate them out and be like, look, when I get a library from an external source, it should never send data to the internet. Because that's really that library is there from my application. We can get down to that level yeah. of granularity. That's great. But that's just in one platform and one set of technologies, right? You can do that <laughs> in Python. Great. What happens when you go to react what happens when you go to view what happens when you go to some other completely different whatever the next hipster technology is and that mm-hmm. basically falls apart and that's where how
1: do you, how do you get those to the micro the micro level where they interact with each other and the hardware directly like i think that's like the hypervisor was kind of doing that but then obviously we have all of the oss built on top of those as well so there's no i think we're in that that middle stage still mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the I, exciting part is like we're we're all gonna ha- have jobs and be addressing <laughs> these issues for like probably we'll the rest of our about our life, this, yeah, the rest of our lives, right? When this uh, is
2: the uh, Security Weekly Nursing Home Edition, we'll, we'll still be, yeah. I,
0: I I actually think that's kind of uh, that's kind of exciting. I I do along these lines uh, in what I've been working on recently is there's a lot. I, I, there's bad advice on the internet <laughs> as to how to configure this stuff, right? Specifically, (laughs) that was the understatement of the of probably all time. A lot of bad advice on the internet for a lot of reasons. But if you're looking at deploying applications and infrastructure securely, a lot of the examples uh, in uh, Marston or developer and we're talking about this. We're like, like we have a goal and we want to accomplish it. And we're like, we look at stuff out there. It seems like people have figured something out for like a test environment. And they've gone to Medium and they've wrote a blog, written a blog post and it's here's how to get it running in your test environment. And you're like that's great. I'm deploying my app in production. I don't know about you. Like you did a great job writing that post. And I am not want to take anything away from them because there's a lot of research that's yeah. gone into Pluralsight courses that I've watched, Medium blog posts in people's personal blog. A lot of great research but How do you do it for real? That's not, yeah, that's not like production ready. It seems like the folks that have done this in production either can't share what they've done or just haven't shared what they've done so i guess it's a call to the community if you've done this and it's running in production like write in and tell us like uh, yes i did the test but then i did it also in production and i wrote a a blog post about it because you can just tell looking at the configurations they're not protecting their secrets they're not accounting for the continuous integration and continuous deployment uh, uh, they're not including all of the testing that has to go into that process, right? They're not accounting for persistent storage. It's, I can take an open source app. I can deploy it out to Beanstalk. Great, I got it running. But what happens when I need to update it? Now all my config goes away, and it's not documented anywhere how to do that. And that's the kind of stuff I've been well, seeing. That's a
2: problem in the modern world, and in it's inherent. I mean, Doug Song was talking about how you know having these people develop all these little pieces and the, mm-hmm. you know the cream kind of rises to the top. And that's great. I mean, that's a pure capitalistic model where I don't mean money. It's just pure capitalistic in the sense that you put a product out, I put a product out. If mine sucks and yours is great, people will adopt yours over time. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and and so in the long run, and now we can talk some economics, in the long run, <laughs> it will resolve itself. Because if you write shitty products all the time, and I write great products all the time, eventually you're going to have to go learn to do something else. But not
0: today. What I see is in the open source specific to, you know, containerizing applications and and pushing into the cloud is that everyone's got mediocre examples and information out there. And what I've done, you know, like this week, for example, is I've kind of plucked what I like. About, like, I've read and tried to learn as much as I can, and then based on that in my experience, what I like from your thing that it doesn't quite do everything right, but it does that one thing right, so I like that. Then I'm going to someone else's GitHub repository, and I'm like, yeah, I, 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 like, that's... You shouldn't have done that, but I like this, so I'm going to take that. How
1: do, how do I tie those together? And, I
0: tie, and I'm tying it all together. Well, so it's a distributed evo- evolutionary environment. Right. and you're, Which
1: is great, and I'm glad people
0: are sharing. You're taking pieces. It's sharing all all of their work, and I'm taking you and, know, pieces and in from the lo- that. And in
2: the long run, somebody will take the best pieces and put them all together, right. and then that but becomes a product. But what's interesting
0: is I'm going to take what, what I've learned, right, I'm going to share it with our audience, and, and then – Probably someone's going to go, well, that's not quite right. Maybe for me, or maybe Paul's like, yeah, he's kind of on crack in that area, which is totally valid, right? But (laughs) awesome with this piece, right, that he took from someone else and modified and shared it back out. And that's good, too. And we just need to keep iterating, right? And because that's I, the
2: open source scientific model. I mean, yeah. that's how science is supposed to evolve. Is like I write it's a an, great point. It's a I great write point. an article,
0: yeah. and right. I say, I'm hypothesizing
2: this. Mm-hmm. I tested this part of it. This part, I don't know. I, I uh-huh. know. Right. And then you you say, wow, I like what he's doing. And you start testing some of these other parts. And over a long period of time, in the long run, we maybe come up with an answer for this problem. In the short run, that's that's dangerous if you're an enterprise and you're in production mm-hmm. because you need stability, security, and so forth, and you just want something that works. So these kind of like you know modular evolutionary products, uh, I'm going to stay away from those at my big enterprise until maybe you sort all the bugs out, and 20 years from now you've got an answer, and and that's the problem with the open source model because you do get all this misinformation, you get good information, you get bad information, you get mediocre information and if you don't have the capability in house to put all that together and get it running by tomorrow when the CEO comes to work and wants his email you got a big problem so
1: that's that's I, offensive tools in in a nutshell right there like yeah. you're basically yes. yep. you know not not many people are doing it for real and all the yep. the tutorials are like you know here's how you do it on your internal network or here's how you use metasploit or whatever but you know to do it for real you've got 15 different layers that you have to come up with and you yep. kind of have to know how to piece those together it, and make it, them make them all work.
0: One thing I've come down to is that some of the configuration infrastructure, like you really got to own yourself. So one of the things that I realized <laughs> recently, right, especially with, let's take Docker as an example, a lot of people just pull images from Docker Hub and, run and just start running them and get a tutorial up and running and and that's great. I think we, we need that. We need to see how that works, right? think of that as your first step. What I've realized recently is that I need to have, I need to develop my own Docker files to define the container and create the image in for my configuration and push it to my own registry to really like push forward all of my projects, right? And that requires a lot more infrastructure that you own and maintain yourself and a lot more responsibility and a lot more learning on your part. But what I found is that once you do that, you're, you're in a much better place. And it, the well, registry part is really, I don't know. The, 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 uh, but the piece that's missing ECS from... ECS is pretty the, is pretty straightforward. The to, piece
2: that's missing from security and open source is that everybody's doing exactly that, and the piece that's missing is there is no peer review. There is no way... Well, there's
0: no standard. What I found, what I was just telling our developer, earlier, Marston, right, I'm like, dude, everyone does it differently. When I look right. at all the different ways to, like, build containers, produce images get them running locally or to the cloud, like everyone's doing it like it takes me back to the days of Pearl, right? Like everyone does it slightly differently. I, and I don't know necessarily maybe for their use cases oh. perfectly it could be perfectly valid. Yeah. I do want to take it away from it perfectly valid, right? But there's like a lot of different ways, tons of different configuration. The when you push into the cloud, what I found, it's a little more standard, right? When you go to Amazon They've got a, a, a more like standardized way to do things. Google Cloud, Azure, the same way. It's kind of a more standardized way to do things, which I think is good. However, you could kind of pigeonhole yourselves well, into a you're, specific you're, provider.
2: You're, the issue you're talking about is that we're in the early days. I mean, I know for us, time goes by, but we're in the early. I mean, if you look at medicine, it's, it's just all, I always draw these analogies. You go back in medicine to the, say, 16th century or something, it's exactly what you just described. Yeah. There's this guy doing this. This guy says, oh, if I inject you with this uh, oil of Hortweasel, most people <laughs> die, but every now and then somebody lives. And it's just crazy. And, yeah. and and another person is going, oh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And there was no peer review. There's no sci- There was no science. We're seeing it evolve in that direction, and someday that's what it will be like, where there will be an established set of guidelines, and there will be an established set of principles, and there will always be people out on the frontier trying new on things. On
0: fringes, sure. But
2: there will be people that say, this is how you do that. When you want this, you download this, and you, you spin it up, and this is how it works, and you do these five things, and it will be nice, and it will be peer-reviewed, and it will be nice. And solid. We're just in the really early days of all this. I mean, we've had the good fortune to be – Right here at the beginning, I mean, in the beginning, started in the 70s and is still going. The beginning hasn't even come close to ending yet. We don't know the answers to a lot of these things. You're starting to see that kind of stuff. You're starting to see journals and people doing basic research and people doing applied research, testing these things and saying, man, you should never, ever do that. But we're not there yet. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. still in the days when people can run off in the woods and shoot somebody up with, you know, pine tar to see what happens. And they probably I mean, die.
1: AI, AI is going to fix all this at some point. right? Uh, well, like yeah, I for, gonna,
2: yeah. I keep forgetting that AI is going to step in and yeah. take care of it all, and none of us will be needed, and we'll just all be sweeping up after <laughs> the AI leaves. But, <laughs> yeah. I, but I welcome those days. So you know, just remember mm. me.
0: Um. So,
1: uh, speaking of big <laughs> providers, Microsoft and their big security shocker, which wasn't actually as big as everyone made it seem, <laughs> I guess in my humble opinion. Just the headline yeah, made what, it sound. Yeah,
0: happened? Like, I, I mean, this was all over the popular news channels, but
1: it was just a, it was an Elastic uh, database. It had a bunch of it had some old records in it for like support cases that Microsoft had for certain clients, but apparently a lot of the files were redacted. Microsoft had this shut down within a very short amount of time. Um, it wasn't like leaked or breached or anything. It was like someone reported it. And it was a misconfiguration in uh, in an access rule, which, you know, this is a clear indication that, hey, this cloud stuff is hard, even the people that do it yep. well, and Microsoft is doing a good job. Like, this is probably one of the first times you'll you'll see something like this for their cloud stuff. They're doing a good job, but hey, they still make a mistake. So where are the kind of the safety nets and and the security pieces? And in this case, they got it fixed really quick and they're very, very transparent about it. And security team's doing good stuff, you know, looking at it. But again, it
0: was And I I really think this comes down to planning, right? And I I think it's something that... I don't know what the difference is between like when we had... I kind of know like physical hardware and operating systems that were installed on them and you had a firewall and you could like build stuff and test stuff. And it was very specific. <laughs> what Like if I built a server internally, I had to go like file a ticket. Someone had to open up a firewall rule. And there was like a process for like this exposure out to the Internet. Now we go to the cloud and I'm going to pick <laughs> on specifically S3 in this case or similar technologies. And Mi- It sounds like a similar issue with Microsoft's case, right? where you have data that's not going through those traditional processes, right? It's not Mm -hmm. that someone racked a server in our data center, put an operating system on it, put some applications, put some data on it, then when – Strung that
1: that wire.
0: (laughs) Right? But even before I did that, I had to – like, let's look at large organizations. And this very much comes from, uh, you know, uh, next week – I believe it's next week Gene Kim Gene Kim's going to come on the show and talk about the unicorn project right and the like basically layers of red tape you had to go through to go I got to go to a technology review board they have to bless the technology then I can implement the technology QA. then I've got to get even before QA right I got to get ops to build me an environment so that I can develop and unit test th- yeah. this application then I have to go to QA and QA has to test that application. Then like before they can test it, they also have to go to ops to get an environment to be able to test it. And then once it's tested, it has to go to security and security has to bless it. And then once security blesses it, then it has to go back to ops and ops has a process that they have to push it into production, right? When you look at, all of these S3 bucket leaks and and data leaks like that. It's basically people bypassing the process going, oh, I can just put this data up in the cloud. I can have an S3 bucket. There's no review process for like, Doug, when you go back to your mainframe days, like who are the users? What roles do they have? What access do they have to the data? Now you just have a user that's like, well, uh, shit, I need to make a backup of this or share it with someone so I'm going to put it up in this S3 bucket. No one really... Understands in all these cases, such as the um, point of sale company, which I believe in this <laughs> article, that was responsible for leaking data on cannabis users, because they make a point of sale system for cannabis dispensaries that leaked 30,000 people's data. Right? Yep. We see this with we've seen this a million times. Right? The funny story. I mean, the on Twitter, we had a lot of fun with coming up with thoughts in ideas like, oh, their sysadmins must have, should be stoned, right? Uh, <laughs> they should have hashed their path. Like, you know, the jokes can go, can go on for a long time. But the systemic issue is that it's really easy for people to bypass the system, bypass yeah. those controls, put data up in the cloud, and not understand if you've ever looked at VPCs, IAM roles, security groups, and subnets, like, I, I've been doing this.
1: I am like, alone. I, I've been doing,
0: like, networking in this shit, you know, since I was in college, which now is a long time ago, right? Probably 30 years ago at this point. And, like, I'm, like, I really have to – like, I have to sit back and, and plan. What it's like, I have to know my requirements and I have to plan and I have to test to make sure that this doesn't leak out. Not everyone's doing that, that's why we're seeing not everyone's of these, capable of doing that, right? It's really hard, it's really and and well, guess what? It's really hard to do it right, it's really easy yeah. to screw and, it up. And when you log into any that's, of these sites, they tell
2: you that it's secure. Mm. I mean, pull up Dropbox, and I'm not criticizing Dropbox, but I pull up Dropbox, this is you know, the new seer- secure way to share files and uh, absolutely no risk, blah blah, right. blah blah blah. And you got users out there that are going, I need to give you a file and the company says what i got to go through a 37 step process with a committee meeting before i can copy a file from one site to another of course yeah. not yeah. i go dump it on dropbox and i and you got it in a few minutes and and that's just i mean now also
0: i mean to amazon's credit s3 is their their product right they've over time put in more and more yes. like barriers and checks to like, yeah, like <laughs> make sure like they keep Dude, warning you're you. you're sharing the shit out to the internet, and right? they keep it's warning you. And they keep warning you. This is public. Save this.
2: I have some of those. Like, I mean, I want them to be public, but like, this is public. Yeah, you right. understand? This is public. When you click this, everyone yeah. on the internet can see this. And I'm like, I, I want them to. So thank you, but right. yeah. And so my but private the- ones. You think about
1: it a little bit. That's the problem, right? You have this convergence of we need to make this very easy so that it's highly adoptable and yes. anybody can use it and, and we can scale this very quickly and, and businesses are you know, doing it. But you're talking about a very complex and very technical product underneath of this. And there's not that many people that are that are fully capable to yep. assess this or even set this up and understand the, the full scope of it. Like now, those so, of us that work in it don't even understand all of it.
0: But the really scary thing and really cool thing is you can do all this in code. Right,
1: <laughs> then you add that layer.
0: So, yeah. I, like, I, I start like, reading posts code, <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, "Well, I just I did all this in Terraform, and here are all my scripts. And basically, I've scripted the entire creation of everything. Right, your VPC groups, <laughs> your uh, IAM roles, your subnets, your EC2 instances, your your basically firewall rules. Right, for, for gaining in uh, access in and out of the v- VPC." It's all done in code. And I'm like, well, like a lot, most people write really crappy code. <laughs> and I'm like, most people don't even write code. code. Right. And, and a lot of people don't have <laughs> I know it's hard for you to imagine that people don't write code, but people don't write code. And even if you do write code, it's still easy to screw up, right? Because uh, yeah. it's not like you have to go. Into the in the Amazon's interface is is Amazon is the obviously where I'm putting a lot of the focus in the AWS right, but like their interface is kind of it's kind of weird. It glosses over certain things and it has some limitations. It almost forces you to go. I want to define this in code. I want to use your CLI tools. So Amazon has all the CLI yeah. tools to be able to script all this stuff, which it just ends up being a lot more error prone. Which is why we have these whole markets in security, of companies. That will analyze your configurations and all the stuff before. Because we talk about that in the enterprise security, like I need something to analyze all my code. That's going to create my infrastructure and define all of my rules for how this is. Presented. And don't forget
2: all the people you were talking about earlier that just go out and download the CLI string that that somebody else did. That yes. That said, this works. And they paste that into their code
0: and get it working because right. they really wanted to get it working. And then that gets lost to this giant. But even, you know, in, even in that post and all the tutorials, they'll say, like, look, we're just doing this to show you how it works. Like in production, you shouldn't put your passwords inside this configuration file. But you can totally see where that's happening. right? Course. And that's how all these leaks are,
2: are And remember, happening. make it work. When you're coding, now you're a coder and I'm a coder and I've been a coder a long time and everybody has that long, dark night of programming when it just won't work and you get desperate and you go, oh, let me try this. No, let me try that. Let me try this and then that and all of a sudden it works and you go, hell yes, it
0: works, it works, it works and then you're like. Push that baby, we're done. And then you know It's hard enough to get shit working, let alone then get it working securely. I mean, specifically no, I working mean it,
2: with the cloud. And then you gotta go back yeah. and test it. And when you go to your boss, like when I when I was running a coding shop and you know, people came to me and they said, I got it working I was like, Hell yeah, put a green sticker on there and you know, if they had come to me and said, I got it working, but now we need to go back and start testing it to see if it's good Right. I would or have secure. been like, let me put that through the budget process and see if they'll approve the hours, because we've really got 96 other jobs we got to get right. that are that are listed as urgency one. I, I, maybe tomorrow, okay? And I mean, and that's how that stuff leaks through. I mean, that's what that's tomorrow. Wild. Maybe three months. Six oh, well, months. I'm saying tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow is like Italian tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'll come fix the water tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've all been there in Italy, and there, and you know, I learned that was the first thing I learned in Italy was if they said they'd come tomorrow, it meant it meant maybe never. When they started saying I'll be there in two or three hours, it meant maybe this week. Mm-hmm. And you know, if the guy said I'm on my way, it meant well maybe maybe tomorrow. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not. And then tomorrow he may you say again, uh, tomorrow and then you're like, Oh my god, they're never gonna fix the water. And that was a little weird.
0: Anyway, but. that's a <laughs> <laughs> the getting Italian back to tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> I've really? never
2: sidetracked a single conversation. You just did that <laughs>
1: That's so Paul, I know me. near and dear to your heart Sonos is definitely making something clear for you
0: <laughs> Do I you know I don't want to be cliche <laughs> Tyler oh and I, I did put this out there on Twitter um, in, in one of my you comments, uh, I was like, you know, like basically Hackers of the world unite right and like if there ever was a case for me personally <laughs> and also for everyone who's ever bought a Sonos device in their entire life to say hackers of the world unite, this is a use case for that, right? And I, my, my hope is that there are APIs that are in use today, and my research into Sonos in the past has shown that, like, the security's not uh, – kind of a segue from our previous conversation, right? Like, security's not been – a really great thing. My uh, you know, 11-year-old son can wreak mm-hmm. havoc in our Sonos system. <laughs> not because I've given him the password or any kind of access or credentials, but because he's like, oh, hey, I can install not just the Sonos app, but any of these other apps and affect the audio controls of speakers in the mm-hmm. house. Right? <laughs> so... Like, all of a sudden, and we were laughing. It's a great story because, like, we were laughing the other day because my whole family and I have three boys, right? And we're all just sitting around, and all of a sudden, you know, the Sonos speaker is playing the fart song (laughs) and (laughs) just laughing hysterically. And uh, you know your kids have progressed to, like, an awesome, just, like, elite hacker level where I'm like, dude, how did you do that? (laughs) Right? When you're asking that question of, like, your children, like, Wait, how did you do that? Like, you got to show me what you did uh, to do that because I haven't shown you anything. I haven't given you any credentials or anything. So, Sonos definitely, in my opinion, uh, in uh, respects to usability, has dialed back a lot of those security controls. Um, I think Philips Hue and a lot of these other smart home devices have basically taken off any kind of form of authentication or security or controls in the name of usability I want to be able to stream music to my speaker right to make that easy the first thing you do is just why security controls like forget about that stuff right so I think there's opportunities my hope is that there's an API that we can manipulate to kind of bridge the now what Sonos has deemed legacy devices to be able to bridge those To the new devices. And the reason I was asking Mike about that was like, okay, I get the the right to repair. I can do that personally. What happens when I publicize that? What happens when I put that up in a GitHub repository and I put it out on social media and be like, hey, look, I just figured out with the help of my friends a way that you can use your legacy Sonos devices. I've reverse engineered their protocol. I've published all the details on that so people Mm -hmm. can reproduce it all over the place. You don't need to buy the new Sonos stuff. You can use all your existing Sonos stuff and it, it, maybe not fully, but integrates enough where it's usable. And you remember what Mike said when you said that, right? He said, I would would
2: love to defend you in this case.
0: Right? Defend me because Sonos is going to be fucking pissed about that. They're going to be like, no, I want people to buy the new shit and as Uh, hackers we're like no we totally figured out a way
1: there's precedence for the so right like the ddwrt stuff that you did like from a router hacking standpoint you're taking hardware that does a specific thing you're writing a a different os and functionality you know tyler
0: that's a great point and something i didn't bring up in the conversation with mike because we're short on time but a lot of the wt54g stuff the wi-fi drivers were binary blobs And this is stuff, Larry and I published a book in 2007, right? Like, why wouldn't you just open source those drivers so that if people have (sighs) 15-year-old routers, they could use them today with modern Linux kernels, with modern operating systems, because you've open sourced it. So we can take a binary driver. Now you've made the source available we can modify the code we can compile it with the latest versions of whatever firmware and linux kernels we have and make those older devices useful if we don't those are just going to end up in a landfill somewhere that's that's such there's a waste no way why can't do we take that, that and send that to buy, other people in other countries that don't afford the luxury to be able to buy new devices right like there's tons of great like for the greater good That we could do with that. There's tons of things that we could give to schools to learn hacking. There's tons of benefits Shareholders don't understand greater good. But that, you know, and we have interviews coming up with uh, folks talking about the ethical debate of technology, right? And how corporations make decisions based on profit and the bottom line versus what's ethical, what's moral, right? We go back to the Ford Pinto and the Iacocca, right? I don't know that he necessarily wanted to kill people, right? But they made decisions business decisions that were for the bottom line. You're not worth as much as a pinto. Sonos is making decisions that affect the bottom line. Lynxis and Broadcom are making decisions but that affect the bottom line. But if they don't do that, line. the shareholders come after them and they're all out of jobs. Uh, I think there's also a public image kind of thing, too. That I, You know, I mean, Doug spoke to it when we talked about his culture, right? Like, if you want to help people and you have a culture that is you're helping people and you're helping your customers, like that's that's awesome and your company will grow. If Sonos came out and said, yeah, you know what? Look, we're going to end the life of these devices, but guess what? Here's a GitHub repository, have at it. Their public image would be a complete 180 to what it is. Today. There are users out there that like hashtag boycott Sonos. Yeah. They're not buying. They're, they're, they don't want to buy the new stuff because of the des- yeah. decisions you know, that made. With your made yeah. had they that, promoted the hacker ethic and the hacker spirit and said, you know what, we're going to open source these components. So if you want to go write the code to link all these devices, you can people will be like, you know what, that sounds fun. I would do that as a Lord, hard hard right? For people yeah, it would, it would it's be all cool. about, it's
1: all about approach. Like you, you yeah. have to frame that for like, and that's, I think that's the problem in a lot of these big corporations is there's, there's a lot of internal people that may or may not have these great ideas. And if they do, they may not have a culture that is set up so that they can feel comfortable enough to bring that. But if you don't frame that in a way that says, Hey, this is good for us. It's just going to be people that aren't looking at that, don't understand the technology and are looking at bottom dollar only and, and next revenue and market share. Yeah, Like you're not going to have someone framing that evangelizing that or, or preaching some of that public image stuff. And I think that's where, as communities we have to be able to voice that properly and be able to uh, find ways and communicate you know if you're a big corporation like listen to your end users and listen to the things that are happening on social media mm. around products and announcements are well, like, you know there's a big push also to listen to
0: your engineers cuz i yeah. i find it hard to believe that there are not engineers at sonos that are not like really upset and losing sleep right now and going i tried to convince management that we should have open source components that we should have made a development kit so that people could have connected their now legacy gear to the newer stuff right like i guarantee you there were people who had that hacker mentality had that open source mentality to say we should do this because we don't want to piss off our customers yeah, look, you i've have worked for vendors look. in the past right and i'm like we don't want to piss but off our users. You have to learn to
2: listen to those people. And, and like, like Tyler said, there's tons of corporate where mm. going forward and saying, I think we should give away our old products is like, mm. I mean, somebody at some high level is going to say, so you're just going to what? Take all these products and, and you're going to give them away? These are valuable assets. We can't give them away. And, and how many people won't upgrade then? And then they start doing all these analysis. And but, years- uh, so I'll play devil's
0: advocate, right? Um, I I think it's really hard to decouple the legacy from the new, right? Uh-huh. I think we're kind of speaking about that like it's it's just it's like there's a fine line, right? Or yeah. even just a line in the sand that says like, yeah, we could open source this stuff, and it has nothing to do with our newer stuff. All of us have been involved with software. Most of our listeners have as well, right? I mean, we all well know that open sourcing some of our older stuff, the reason why some of us don't open source some of our scripts until a certain point is because you're like... Yeah, I, I, I just like that's kind of an either embarrassing, there's security flaws, there's a lot of and, other considerations. And I'll in, put in one
2: more that. piece on that liability. Liability. So when got, that stuff's a secret yep. and it's in house. You release it open source and people start digging through it going, mm-hmm. wow, did you realize these guys left you wide open to hacks and everything else? People will blame everything that ever
0: happened in the <laughs> world on on you. Well, and Doug, there's licensing things, too. Oh, what I are they, you know, open source? I mean, like, Wait, this wasn't open source, but you were using open source software mm-hmm. and there's a licensing violation there. And how much of that product
2: is still in the new product? And you got to go through that and go, well, are these pieces we're releasing actually removed from the new piece? Because we don't want to yeah. release parts of the new piece when we. Re- I mean, and then it turns into, well, what's this? It's the Pinto. Is it worth it? Yes. And how much is this right. going to cost us to release this? We got to have committees. We got to have review. We got to do all this crap. Or we just scrap the damn thing
0: and say, buy the new product and move on. And but like uh, also, uh, you know, what Doug said too, and a lot of us have experienced with open source is once you open source something. Uh, like, uh, thousands of people are emailing you now going, uh-huh. wait, what about this? And, like, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Uh-huh. And that kind of thing, too. Well, yeah,
2: and you got to support it. And you got to support well, you, you don't, don't have, have to, to, but right? but you'll be expected to. And now you're right back in the snake pit because now you got all right. these people writing and going, oh, I don't understand this, and why did you do it this way, and it won't work with this, and mm-hmm. you gave me this open source thing, and you're going, well, look, we don't support it. It's on you. It's just free. It's out there. You can do whatever you want
0: with it. It won't compile on oh you yeah know, Mac OS. Well, can can you fix that? And that's when they're a, calling you, your help right. desk, yeah. going, you know,
2: and they're going, sorry, we don't support that. We can't answer that question. But even then, it took time, and it took money, and and it's just.
0: I and so there are. There I know are what two corporate sides. legal
2: says when you go to them with this. Corporate right. legal says no, no, and hell no.
0: I, I know what I know what I want as a consumer and as a hacker, right? But I also want. You but know, you're an idealist. Yeah, there's a, there's another side. Wouldn't to
2: that be thing. nice? But but the reality of it is is that I, I can just hear that meeting right now in my head. I've sat in that meeting. I mean, it was about something else, but it's the same meeting mm-hmm. where they're just going, "What you want to do? What?" Oh my God, no, we would never do that in a million years. The liability is through the roof. It'll cost us $100 million in the long run, or we could just not do it. And then the CEO goes, we're not doing it. Right. Thanks, Doug.
0: (laughs) Move on. Let's move on. One more story? One more. Okay, one more. Mm. Is there one more? There is. I'm debating between tomatoes attacked by... (sighs) Must, all right. Let's do tomatoes. Okay. Yeah. No, I I like tomatoes. <laughs> Is it tomatoes or tomatoes? It's
2: tomatoes. You, you, you can code it either way.
1: <laughs> Just like it's potatoes.
2: Yeah, and potatoes. Um. So yeah. So I I actually built a lot of tomato routers. Um. I was one Oh, of... tomato
0: like the operating system. Yeah. So uh. The, Paul, they... So historical fact. I was not a big fan of tomato because. It was largely based on the open source derivatives from like the original Linksys code yeah. that they had kind of morphed, whereas Didi and open were and OpenWort were very much different kind of uh, projects that didn't derive a lot of source. I, I, was,
2: I was using it because I, I ended up building all these systems um, for a couple of different people that were managing early... Uh, Wi-Fi traffic for public users where there was cost associated with the back end. Mm -hmm. And um, I won't say that this was to circumvent something at a giant hotel chain, but it was uh, for another company. But um, I built a bunch of tomato routers because it supported some stuff I needed. It was affordable and it would run on the platforms that they had. And I really like that. And I, I know there's some of these still running today. In fact, I saw this article, and I actually made a call to somebody because I know they're still running this stuff. I'm not supporting it anymore. In, it's
0: but. Uh – Tomato still supported as an operating system that runs on Wi-Fi routers on the Broadcom chipset. As chip set, far as
2: I know, I mean you can still get it. It's still open okay. source stuff. And uh, and this was this uh, Mustik uh, uh, malware, which was then being used to exploit this. It basically allowed a remote code execution, which could then t- in turn exploit WordPress. Um, there was a couple of other things on the back end that it was allowing exploits of so that you could extract credentials and so do other. So this was
0: an attack for Tomato this Router. This
2: is an actual attack on the Tomato Router, which then allowed you to code inject some other stuff internally, uh, most notably probably WordPress. Um, there was a couple of other products, uh, I don't remember exactly what they were, uh, that were being exploited through this, but basically it allowed them to inject botnets into your, your network. And which was, I mean, you know, this is just another example of stuff that, that's out there that's scary because it's like bad code, but when it was released, nobody was thinking about it. They were just thinking about getting it working. And, you know, over time, an infinite number of hackers have had an infinite amount of time to focus on these systems and find all the possible flaws in them. So it's, uh, if you've got tomato routers, and a lot of people do, uh, you, need to, you need to take action to protect yourself from this. It, it's a worm.
0: Uh, so basically, this is a default credential, admin, yeah. admin, root admin.
2: Well, yeah, that's that's one of the attacks was that it, it extracts those tomato router credentials. Yeah, if you're not using default
0: credentials. No, you're that's like, right. I mean, it's just a known default credential for but tomato. But because,
2: because people thought, well, nobody can get into this admin from the outside. They didn't change the default credentials. And for instance, like the ones I was using, they were reset. Every single time because they were constantly being moved around. It wasn't an enterprise in that sense. It was like pack them up, put them in the Pelican boxes. Part of the protocol we wrote was to reset them to the defaults because the next group that had to set them up needed the same set of instructions. And because they weren't going to be there forever, you know, yeah, they had they had default credentials on them. And that was bad security design. But security just wasn't an issue when I built those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, people didn't do that kind of stuff. And, and it was internal. So... It's something you need to read up on if you got tomato routers out there running. So it was a savage. I mean, in the same light, that, SS- that SSH key story, Fortinet revealed that there's an, a hard-coded SSH key in some of their devices. And I'm like, that's just, again, it's just the same problems of these default credentials and things being embedded, and we didn't think about it. We just got it working. Nobody worried about it. And then today it comes
0: back to haunt you, and you got a firmware problem. Yeah, de- deploying physical devices is hard right oh, or, or even firmware that runs on physical it's devices brutally right? hard like the authentication piece is an issue so like some of the things i'm working on is like in your build process the the password and credentials like it doesn't really matter because if you control both ends of it right like if you control the app and the database right and you're deploying that as one system in every build process i can just change the password Right, so like when someone like Tyler comes along and says, "Oh, like I can get your password," right? Like, I just push a new release, and now you got a new set of credentials. Sure, you could exploit that same, that same hole, right? But um, once I fix that hole, I'm still rotating my credentials. So I think that ephemeral kind of infrastructure is kind of interesting, and the security issues that stem from things like Tomato firmware. Um, other types of firmware that have a default password that just gets out there is is really bad. It's something that I think we can easily overcome. I mean, the great thing about OpenWRT and the reason why we embraced that was because early on they realized that the first time you deploy firmware, the first thing the user needs to do is pick a password. Even if they pick a poor (coughs) password, still better— than having that, that known default password that But you're
2: talking, now you've got millions and millions of IoT devices rolling mm-hmm. out constantly. And, and, I mean, some of these companies, you'll see them roll out thousands of things with these, you know, different, and they may even all have different firmware. I mean, they may have different versions of firmware on all your thermostats. Yeah, and, and that's
0: and great. But even if you use a, uh, a key-based system, if the private key is still the yeah. same on all of them, you can get a hold of the private same key. Problem. It's the same problem.
2: It's scary stuff. It sure is.
1: (laughs) That's where like a hardware YubiKey or something might be interesting to to integrate into. Yeah, that's a
0: a good idea. I mean, uh, we talked about this like years in the past. When you make available a firmware or some type of application, letting the user choose the password is is the (laughs) way to go. Yeah. uh, You've got to make them do it. I mean, got to make them do it, and that, but that causes support, yeah, issues. What if they enter that password the first time, and they go, "Oh shit!" Like, was my caps lock key on when I entered that password, yeah. or like, what was the, what was the password? And you know, then they forget it, and the, yeah, there's there's ish, The reason why it was done largely, uh, with the WT54G platform, I think, was to uh, reduce those support calls, right? Sure. You go buy a router, like uh, everyone knows what the password is, and I can get into it the first and, time. The problem is no one changed it, right? And if you, so forcing the user to change it.
2: Check in, your support on devices now. Call them and watch the first thing they say. Set it back to factory defaults. Yep. I have been told that so many times. When I was going, no, that's not the problem. I don't want to set everything back to factory defaults. I, I need you to answer this question about this device. Just set it back to factory defaults, and let's start from there. I'm like, God Damn it, I don't want to start over and have to rebuild everything. You know, and but that's that's because they don't want to support it. They just want just put it back to default, put it back to vanilla. And and then you get people who have gone to vanilla and it works and they just leave it. And then even if they meant well in the first place, now it's like, God, we've
0: got thirty five of these I, things. It, separating your configuration from your authentication, I think, is a huge thing. Yeah. Right. Like those factory defaults basically not just are resetting your config. But also resetting your credentials, right? If we can separate those two things so that they're it, it, mutually exclusive, right? But that's hard because again, people and, forget and as what long the as there's is, authentication,
2: right? there's going to be compromised authentication. So uh, yeah. we have to find something new and different. You know, like I, I would say, AI will solve that problem for I
0: don't instance. think we're going to solve this problem on the <laughs> show. Uh, so I'm going to round out the show. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching (laughs) this edition of Paul Security Weekly. We'll see you next time. Oh.